Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I sit down with James Kennedy, and we talk through this interesting approach he takes with his business, Procurement Express, where they have a recurring annual price increase every year. And they're very upfront about this. They communicate this to the clients when they sign up. We run through the pros and cons of this strategy, as well as catch up with James Kennedy. He has spoken at several microconfs. You may have seen him if you've attended. But before we dive into that, Tiny Seed applications for our next batch are open from February 6th to February 19th. If you're a bootstrapped SaaS founder doing at least $500 in monthly recurring revenue, up into the many tens of thousands in MRR, I'd love it if you would apply. Head to tinyseed.com slash apply to find out more. You can drop your email there to get notified when applications open or just head to tinyseed.com slash apply. If you are interested in participating in a year-long accelerator program that is focused on bootstrap and mostly bootstrap SaaS founders like yourself, we offer mentorship, guidance, the batch itself. We have an amazing Slack channel and we offer community and we match you with masterminds within your cohort of founders, as well as the right amount of funding for a company like yours. tinyc.com if you're interested. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with James. James Kennedy, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm doing good. People might recognize your name and voice from the many questions you've sent in, voicemail questions. You, tr- you tried the, uh, we call it video ask, I guess, at, that's at the top of the website. I feel like, I feel like I'm the biggest sponsor of that thing. Yeah. I feel like, this is an awesome idea. Why isn't everyone doing this? And then I'm the only one who does yeah. it. Yeah, oh, there's, some, there's some good audio video questions that come through. So yeah, I wanted to welcome you on the show. Um, you are the founder of Procurement Express at procurementexpress.com. Your H1 is take the hassle out of company purchasing finally. So as people can tell by your name, when we talk about you know doing enterprise sales and if you have to go through procurement, then you need to 10x your pricing, right? This is the thing. Well, your software helps companies handle their own procurement. Is that right? You want to describe it a little more? Yeah, sure. We're, we're a little less enterprise, more like 50 to 500 employees. So the original use case was Richard, my business partner. He had an IT support business in Dublin. And he had two customers come to him in the same week looking for kind of the same thing. Uh, one was UNICEF and the other one was Clarins Cosmetics. And they both wanted to, if you think about it, when you're like buying stuff in your own business, it's great. You take out your credit card, you do it. But then as soon as you get a bit bit bigger, if you need to spend money to do your job, it gets a bit more complicated. So in UNICEF's case, they need to get approval. Obviously, it's public money or donation money. They need to be very careful. There's a lot of reputational risk if you don't handle that money correctly. And in Clarence's case, they uh, actually had their old MD embezzle 150,000 euros worth of stock from them. So there were two very different reasons for, for wanting something. They didn't know what to call it. We need like controls. They didn't want to be, buy an ERP, but their accounting system wasn't it doing it for them. So Rich uh, Googled, not very well, couldn't find anything because there are competitors. Uh, but he came to me, we hacked together the first version. And now we have about 300 customers all around the world, half in the States, half everywhere else. And we handle about $3 billion in spend for those customers each year. And that's what we do. It's normally like a CFO new in the business. He comes in, he's like, hey, let me get control of the spend in this place. I'll make it easier for people, an easy win. And that's what we do. And how long have you been in business? 
incorporated in 2016. So, but it, the easy one is it's the same age as my son, Max, right? Nine. So we got pregnant with Max and I was like, oh my God, I had a crappy online business. I'm going to, it's bad enough. I'm ruining my own life with this sort of marginal business, but <laughs> now suddenly I'm dragging my kids into it. So that was a big motivation. And it was, it was definitely, you know, the famous Jason Cohen speech from 2013 in microconf. That was the uh, half moment for me. And when Rich came with this opportunity, it almost like matched up, you know, exactly. I'm sure the audience has already seen that. But if you haven't, go Google MicroConf 2013, Jason Cohen. It's the OG talk, I would say. Maybe one of the best talks ever when it comes to bootstrapping a SaaS business. That's what I call it. Yeah, we tried to ape some of that. Yep. And how big is your team now? You're bootstrapped fully, right? Yeah, we did take an angel round actually. So we have like a five, five angel investors yeah, in 2016. And, um, but we have about 25 people and we're in and around the 2 million ARR in, in revenue mark. So it's been very much the slow, you know, what do you call that thing? The slow, steady SaaS ramp of death. It's uh, not been an overnight success, but it's, it's great. It's definitely all I ever would have hoped for. And it's a great team. I know people don't think purchasing procurement is fun, but it's, it's a lot of fun to make something that delivers value and, and you couldn't help for, hope for more with our product. You know, we, we really save people a lot of hassle. And that's what I kind of get my kicks from is hearing the stories about, hey, you know, I used to spend three hours a day doing this and now you're, it's gone away. The magically it's gone away. And despite the money, it's the value. I think as engineers, we like that idea of delivering value, right? So we've all maybe had jobs in the past where we were horribly overpaid and you deliver no value and you feel empty and dead inside. And then of course we've gone the other way. We build products that no one uses. Neither of those is good. So the crossover there is to build something that delivers value and is rewarding. So more or less that's what Procurement Express is. And to build a pretty great business. I mean, it sounds at 2 million ARR, it's just a SaaS company like this, the stability and the, as you said, it's kind of done everything you wanted it to do. And I love businesses like this. I often say boring businesses, and I mean that as a compliment. It's like, like you said, procurement doesn't sound that amazing, but it's like, no, that's that's kind of cool. Like ESP sending emails for people, it's like, that's boring. But it's like those those can be fun businesses if you're into them, right? It just depends on what brings you the joy. If you have to be working on a social network or like the next hot thing, VR, that's that's your personality. That's cool. You you're playing a certain game, and that's not the game that we tend to play. You know, in the microconf crowd, it's more like I get my joy from either from building businesses and providing value to people, like you said, in exchange for money, or from the idea of wanting to be independent financially, you know, and whether that's 10K a month MRR, whether that's selling for 10 million, whatever, I think these things are all kind of wrapped up in, in the ethos. Yeah. And you say it's boring, but it's, if it's boring, if it's not your job, if your job is to like administer all the payments in a private school and you have a string of teachers waiting for you outside your office every Friday, looking for their money, and you're like terrified you're going to make a mistake. And then, you know, you make some software to make that go away. To them, that's that's not boring. You like just give them a Friday afternoon back. So that's, they're the stories I think of. There are humans at the end of the day still. We'll see what happens with AI now. But they're still humans we're writing software for. So uh, that's the fun part for me. And so we're going to talk about your annual price changes for customers. Where every September, you emailed me and said, every September we increase our price by 8%. And it's an incredible story, frankly, that I haven't heard another SaaS company do. But before we do that, I want to ask about the name of your company, Procurement Express. Am I remembering correctly that when you started, it was called Rubber Stamp? Rubber Stamp.io? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like there's only two problems in computer science. One of them is naming things. And I am terrible at naming things. And my, my partner, Rich, came up with rubber stamp. I absolutely hated it, but I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, let's just do this thing. We're probably not going to be around in six months. And who knew it took off? So <laughs> I pushed to say, listen, we've got to be grow up and be more professional now. And the rubber stamp idea was, you know, just get your, your expenses approved, like with a rubber stamp. But then we became paranoid because in the US, some of our customers were saying, well, rubber stamping isn't necessarily a good thing. It means you're just sort of waving it through. And then we got insecure about that. And then we, let's get a proper grown-up name. Now, you know, there are great stories out there like teamwork.com that went from, you know, some obscure domain to teamwork and it exploded their business. It probably had the inverse effect for us. I think we may have been better off at rubber stamp, but um, that's what happened. So say that we can't win them all. Yeah, that's the hard part, right? Naming's hard. Rubber stamp, I always liked it because it was so memorable. I remember hearing it and be like, oh, I wonder what that does. That's an interesting, like it's an interesting, clever name. And Procurement Express is, describes what it does, but it is less interesting, I'd say. So it's, these naming's hard, as you said. Yeah, I would say if I had to do it again, I would not let myself be part of the naming. And attention is worth more than, you know, being super descriptive and even a big problem with Procurement Express is that it's very similar to our competitors, like Procurify, Precoral, you know, they, all these concepts are kind of similar. Sometimes we get emails from people saying, oh, fantastic. You know, we've decided to work with you. You know, uh, this is great. We're going to get started next month and we can't start, wait to start working with whatever, No Friction or Procurify, one of our competitors. And I'm like, no, <laughs> they can't even tell us apart. So differentiating in hindsight, I think it probably was a mistake. If I was to do it again, I would maybe have not rebranded. So let's talk about this this annual price increase. I want to preface this by saying that you know, with companies that I advise that are selling into the enterprise that are actually doing annual contracts, it's standard recommendation at this point to say if you're signing an annual contract with a customer, build in an annual price increase. Five to ten percent is kind of the rule of thumb that I think we throw around. But a lot of these companies are doing some annual, a minority annual, let's say 20%, and then everything else is monthly. And a lot of them aren't custom contracts, and they're just kind of signing up paying with a credit card a year in advance, you know, and they're no custom TOS or whatever. So talk me through how you are handling this. Like, I guess start with, are all your customers annual? And are they all more like custom contracts you're signing, or is it terms of service? And then we're going to dive into the 8, 8% every September. I just want to know how that's communicated and how that pans out. Yeah, so to answer your question, yes, for mostly month-to-month contract terms of service, uh, we do have some contracts for some customers. And in fact, they often preclude us from price increases in those contracts, or it's certainly a point of negotiation, so for bigger customers. But let's say for our mid-market customers, you know, three to $1,000 a month in MRR and fees, like that's, they're all just signing up on the website with a credit card. And we started doing this a few years ago because it's been a mantra as long as I've been listening to this podcast about just increase your prices, Patio 11, I think, and definitely Patrick Campbell talks a lot about, about this. But I've never really, the reason I reached out to you because like, I never really talked about, well, why don't we just annualize this? And we annualized it just three years ago now, and it's been the best thing ever. And I don't want to say everyone should rush out and do this, but there's definitely... You know, I've identified five key benefits and there's one sort of reason not to do it in true content marketing style. <laughs> so we started doing this three years ago. And the first thing is that we, we actually did a price increase three years ago and it was had to be bigger because we hadn't done the price increase for like three years or f- maybe three or four years. 
And then suddenly we were faced with new customers were paying $300 a month, whereas some customers were paying $50 a month, you know, from, from way back in the day. The longer I went on, the worse it became. Because if they were grandfathered, then, you know, you just had this disparate group of, of payments. And it also made the physically very difficult to manage all the payments. So your, your Stripe becomes a mess. You're like, some people are on one type of plan and some people are on a different type of plan. And it became very, very difficult to manage. So after having to go through the pay, and also when you do a big increase, I think we did like 20% or so, like we definitely hit churn on that. That's not like good news story for anyone. So we were like, okay, subsequent years, we're just going to warn our customers. And in fact, new customers to come on September, we do our price increase. We normally say exactly that. It's like between five and 10%. Last year it was 8%. And then the biggest benefit there, first one is it avoids this shock. So A, customers expect it. So it's not so much because if you're a hundred bucks a month, paying 110, it's a rounding error. It really doesn't matter to anyone except you as running a SaaS business because multiply that across all your customers, it's actually a really significant bump to your MRR. And it becomes like a little early gift Christmas present, which you can plan for and you can decide, okay, you want to hire a new resource or whatever, you know, it's coming in September and it's a two-way win. You know, you know, you're going to get the bump in AOR and your customers know it's coming, kind of train them for it. So I'd say the first big reason is, or big benefit is it avoids a bigger shock, like every two or three years, just forgetting to do it. You know, you hear about lots of people who buy SaaS businesses and they haven't done a price increase in 10 years or something nuts. And then suddenly you're faced with trying to bring them up to 2023 levels and it's just too much, you know, and then you really annoy people. Yeah. So I'd say that's the first benefit, you know, it avoids larger bumps. The second thing is that I think really, you know, it's a rule of thumb that no one really cares as long as less than 20%, except for one group of people. And that's the group of people that weren't getting value from your product in the first place. So it's not universally great, right? So especially, I think it's a, maybe a, a little secret of SaaS is that there's you know inactive users. It can be anything from 5 to 15% of your customer base may be paying you and are not getting value from the product. That's a group of people that will consider things and you you know you have to think about before you you go ahead with your price increase, well, how are you going to handle that? Of course, the best way to handle that is to identify them and try and get them active. But as we all know, no matter what you do, no matter how many cartwheels you do to try and get people activated 100%, I've, I don't know if it's possible. I've never heard of it, but like it's just really hard to get people you know on board. So I think you know the fact that it's at 8% means that your risk of churn is very low. We do have a bump in churn after we do this, for sure. It does exist, but it's always the people who were just never onboarded in the first place. And personally, I would prefer we could get them active, but I'd rather also be honest about my ORR and say, okay, let's just, there's an argument for just churning people who aren't active anyway and just focusing on the people who are because it, it keeps the business real and honest. I'm curious how you communicate this to new customers. Obviously, existing customers who've been with you through September, they probably got an email and they know that it's happening. But if I signed up, it's December. If I signed up now, how would I find out that there's going to be a price increase next September? So it's not part of our sales process, but if people ask, we always tell them. So it, we normally actually have a bit of a grace period. So if it's September, for anyone from July, they'll get that year's pricing for the following year. But anyone previous to that then will just be put onto the new pricing. And I know a lot of people go to a lot of effort with their emails, with fancy emails. My email is, is quite straightforward. You know, the subject line is, my favorite subject line is, our smallest ever price increase and 10 new features we made for you this year. And then 
in there, I'll describe it as we're going from $30 to $31 per user per month. And then I will go down through what we did for them that year, which I think is another benefit because I know this email is coming up in September. And if you've got to explain your price increase, you know you got to do it. It's actually interesting. <laughs> it's a psychological thing. So mm, how am I going to justify this price increase? You know, And there's a very good argument for inflation, yada, yada. Everything gets more expensive. You know, Restaurant prices go up, food goes up, everything goes up. So why shouldn't SaaS? There's an argument to that, which I'd like to talk a bit about, which people think, well, if it's SaaS, you've made the product once and sure, why should you ever have to put up the price? Because you just stamp out more software, which would be true if there wasn't a thing called churn. But there's a roof, you know, so there is actually a roof to what you can possibly get in terms of revenue. So you, it means that you do have to increase your prices. Yeah, so that's how I describe it. I say this year, for example, it was we went from 33 to $35 per user per month. The email goes out. We got one churn straight back on the email. And then in the subsequent month, we had a higher than normal churn. We have fairly low churn as a general rule. But it was really, I could see it was the people who hadn't been onboarded. And it was still a big win in terms of net MRR for us, you know, for sure. And you mentioned to me that this also helps you close some deals. You're in the middle of a procurement process yourself, trying to bring someone on there in a decision process. And you say, if you get in by this date, you get the old pricing for a year, in essence. And, and you actually mean it. It's not just a sales tactic. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, it is 100%. And I tell the sales team, and they know it. And they're trying to get their people in. It helps them with their their quota. An extra thing to bring in for the end of the quarter helps them bring in with their quota and everything. So it's a overall good reason to move, you know, to take action. But there's one, there's one definitely one big reason I think you should consider not doing this, or you should be careful. And this is uh, something actually. I mentioned it again, Jason Cohen came up with on Twitter. I was talking about this and he was saying, well, if you're not careful, you can inadvertently drift up the market. So if you're just increasing your prices and you're not thinking about it, at a certain point, you change the nature of your customers. So you might go from proved prosumer to mid-market. You suddenly might go from mid-market to enterprise. And then that changes how your product is positioned and so on. So normally at an 8% rate, it's not going to be that that you just have to be aware of that as it's going on. You know, we definitely have some customers that only came on because we were 50 bucks a month. That's long gone. We just are happy with that, not having those customers anymore. But yeah, still have to be cognizant of that, that you could damage your business if you just went too high without considering what your use case is, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Or I was going to ask a tangential question to that. It's if you raise every year 5 to 10%, do you find that you are now more expensive than any of your competitors? And has, you know, because they're not raising, because a lot of people don't. And so, not exactly up market, but to the point where you're enough above a couple competitors that it's causing you grief. Yes, that is true. And it means your product has to be better. And some people will say, well, if you've built a business which is about undercurrent, undercutting a big incumbent, like a MailChimp or a constant contact or something, then yeah, maybe you don't want to do that. But um, for our product, we're happy to go along with that because I personally believe, because you know we sit on top of $3 billion worth of spend data every year. I see how people buy and I'm firmly convinced that the actual dollar value has very little to do with the buying decision, definitely in mid-market. So really the price is just, someone has to justify to someone else why this product is worth something. You have to give them a good justification but really what you're doing in mid-market most of the time is saving people's time and saving staff time, et cetera, so they can be let, opened up to be more strategic, et cetera. It's saying that you've got to be careful not to say the, la you know, the quiet bit out loud. So 
you got to be careful to say, listen, it's all about price, especially our tool. We're all about price and helping people get the right price. You know, there's trillions of dollars worth of MarTech solutions out there to help salespeople to sell, but there's hardly any software help far from us and our competitors to help people buy. So I'm definitely aware of what the buying cycle is like for people. So you got to be aware of that. But having said that, I just believe that the another thing is when people decide to buy, let's say at $100 a month or whatever it is, they have not experienced the value in your product. They've heard a bunch of claims. They've maybe done a sales demo. They maybe got a testimonial, but they don't actually know if it's going to work. One year later, after having experienced the product, if it's working, then it, it's not the money isn't a problem. If it's not working, that's a different situation. That's why I'm not a big fan of discounting either because it's really kind of a weak sauce argument for why someone should buy your product because you're the cheapest. And where does that go? If you're the cheapest, does that mean it's okay to let yourself off and having the best performance or the best experience or whatever else you decided to compete on? And then where does that go? Well, someone else comes along who's cheaper and they are you know, even nastier or whatever. It lets you off the hook in terms of quality in your product. So maybe that's the strategy. Here in Ireland, we have Ryanair. It's like a low-cost airline and they do very well doing that. But it's not the strategy we cater for, especially in the face of increasing cost of acquisition across the board. Like This has been an argument for decades, which is ad spend is going up, cost of acquiring customers going up. And uh, what's going to happen there? Like it's going to, it's to now, if I was to start our product today, there's no way we would have enough money to compete with the other people like ourselves in the market because the ACVs have become high enough to support more expensive marketing channels. They've pushed up Captera, pushed up AdWords, pushed up everything else. You know, even, even SEO becomes expensive when you're competing against incumbents. So where does that go? If you're not going up market, where is your strategy? Because eventually someone else is going to come along with more money. That could be a, it could be a funded competitor who you know, burns all their cash and goes into the ground or whatever. But then in the meantime, they destroyed your business. So what, that doesn't help you. So that's, why, that's my view on increasing the prices. Also pushes your team to say, hey, listen, I've got to write this email next year about a price increase. So let's think about that. What's going to be a no-brainer when I write the email? about, hey, they're charging us extra two bucks a user. And meanwhile, they've added you know, OCR and they've added whatever features we've got planned for the year. And it focuses the mind a little bit like how Amazon did the, you know, the press release before they do a product. Like you got to imagine, okay, well, how are we going to justify our price increase this year, guys? Yeah, I really like that aspect of it. There have been multiple times where I will sit down and write a landing page for something before I then go build it, right? So like Tiny Seed started as a landing page and Anar and I, actually maybe we had started building a deck. That's We had a part of a deck, but I remember being like, I want to write down what this thing should be. Like how, how do I explain it to people? How do I quote unquote sell it to people? And in essence, and I've done that with, with books and such before that, but that's what you're talking about is thinking about starting from the end and then using it as motivation to get things done. I want to circle back on one thing you said, because I'm super curious. You said, we're sitting on $3 billion in procurement data. And so, you know, I have a sense of how people buy. Any other insight that you want to share just off the cuff of like a pattern or patterns you see that you feel like other SaaS folks could benefit from? I, I will say that, you know, prices become more of an issue. I think we've all seen that anecdotally. And also in terms of purchasing volumes has gone down and average dollar sale in the system has gone down now. All unaggregated data is BS. So maybe I could, I don't want to give you off the top of answer there, but I can say in a very high level, I could probably come back and give some like segmented data there, but on a very high level, for sure, 
price purchasing has changed in the last quarter. And having a value prop, definitely it has tightened up. So it's a lot more focus on getting the right value. So I'm not going to be as a more detailed answer. Maybe I should, I should go and do some research and tell you about that. And that's fine because I asked you that off the cuff without any preparation. Yeah. I want to wrap up with this email subject line. When you emailed me, you said, I'd like to throw in the best subject line I've ever written. And of course, that was a great teaser. I'd love to hear what it was. Sure. When we do a price increase, it's always some variation of this, which is, you know, what we're going to do for you in 2023 and our lowest price increase ever. So I'm not hiding the fact that we're doing a price increase. I personally love that line because it's kind of humorous. I think, you know, like <laughs> we're giving you a price increase, but at least it's the smallest we've ever done. And the way we achieve that is on a percentage basis. Like we keep it, we keep it within smaller than last year normally. Awesome. Well, if folks haven't seen your microconf talks, you have two of them. How we reduced churn by 25%, how you could do it too. That was microconf Europe 2019, an attendee talk. And then you had a full talk about sales, how to stop giving demos and build a sales factory instead at microconf growth in 2017. And if folks want to keep up with you, procurementexpress.com to see what you're working on. Are you still on Twitter these days? Yeah. Um, yeah, James Kennedy. I'm back. I think I think I'm the only one left on Twitter, apparently. But I, yeah, <laughs> I was on it this week, and I was like, "Hey, anybody out there?" Yeah, it's a trip. This will go live in like a month, and so I am curious. By that, the time that happens, like, is this where that all will have have wound up? We'll all be on Mastodon. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Rob. It's so if it's okay, like I'm very keen to hear from other SaaS founders who are who are marketing to CFOs. Like, hit me up on Twitter. I love to talk to you. I'm looking for co-marketing opportunities. So it's okay to say that. I'd love to talk to anyone out there who's, you know, selling to CFOs in mid-market, 50 to 500 employees. Have a chat so we can do some brainstorming. Absolutely. It would be an amazing opportunity if folks are able to pull it together. So James, thanks for coming on the show. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining me this week. Hope you enjoyed kind of a different episode, you know, where uh, certainly it was an interview with James, but we weren't telling his story per se. We were getting a tactic or a strategy from an experienced founder who's built pretty incredible business. This is Rob Wallings signing off from episode 646. Mm-hmm.